been in uh, the midst of a series in the book of Luke uh, called Seek and to Save. Seek and to Save uh, the Son of Man. And the book uh, of Luke, the theme of the book of Luke is this idea that Luke is writing to prove that Jesus is both the Son of Man and the Son of God, that he is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. The Old Testament talked about that there would come a Son of Man who would deliver God's people. And that's who Luke is communicating. God is having Luke write these words to us, to the world, to the people of his day, to let them know that, hey, the Son of Man has come, and this is the verse you see on the screen, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. And so we kind of stole that graphic of Superman, and uh, it's kind of the idea that the original first superhero was Superman. It was the idea that we need someone to save us, someone outside of ourselves to deliver us. And that's exactly the theme of the Bible. It hasn't changed. It's why we love hero stories. It's why we love the stories of the guy like, what are we on, Rambo number eight or something crazy that's coming out in theaters. Like, I'm like, really? Like, so I mean, why? Why, why is that going to make a bunch of money? Because we love to see those pictures when it know that the guy's going to come out in the end and he might, he, is he going to live this time? We don't know, but he'll do something big in the midst of it, right? And we want to go see or engage with that. And we've been looking at the fact that the whole theme of this book is Luke saying, look, this son of man, this Jesus that I'm writing to you about, he is the one that's going to seek and to save, that he, he left heaven to come to earth to seek us. When we didn't even know we need to be sought, we weren't seeking him, and he came to save us even though we didn't know we need saving or we didn't even know we were lost. And he still said, no, all those things are true. That's why I've come. Now, last week, um, we looked at the idea of who can this be? And we looked at chapters 8 and 9 where Luke is writing and there are people asking questions. Miracles are happening. Things that hadn't happened before, or if they did, they never happened this much in this short of a period of time. And so people of Jesus' day are asking a lot of questions. That should be true of us. We should be people who ask a lot of questions. God isn't afraid of questions. We are. We'll see that in a minute in our passage. God wants us to question the world we live in, and he wants us to come to him with those questions. And so last week, everybody's asking who could this be? Is this Jesus really the savior of the world? Is he the one that's going to deliver his people and deliver humanity? Or is he just another special guy, just another kind of sub-hero to the plot? Or is he really what everything's about? And at the end, when we finished up last week, you remember that Jesus took his disciples up on a mountaintop. And on that mountaintop, he rose up. He got bright as white light. Elijah and Moses were standing next to him, and God the Father declared, this is my son, listen to him. And so it was the moment when Luke is building, it's to this moment that Luke was building. Luke was building to this moment to have this declaration of clarity on who this could be. This is the son of God. He is the savior of the world. There is no other. And that's what Luke was doing. Now, what do we see after that? This is the pinnacle moment. It builds up to this moment where Christ is transfigured. The disciples are scared to death. They're amazed. They want to stay on the mountain and build tabernacles. We're going to be celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles over the next several weeks. The Old Testament Feast of Tabernacles where they would build booths or tabernacles, these tents, and they would eat in them. There would be a hole in the top. And they actually celebrated and expected that by doing this, God was going to come meet them in their temporary home, their temporary dwelling. He was going to come through the roof and dine with them, fellowship with them, be with them. There is no clearer image of what Christ's ministry was than that, that Christ came to tabernacle. He put himself in a human body. He, he paid the ultimate price for us to be with us, to save us, to heal, to do the things that only he could do. And it was prophesied thousands of years before, and they're going to be celebrating it in Israel, and the Jews are going to be celebrating it around the world, and we should be celebrating it too because it reminds us of who he is. Now this week, 
What we're going to look at after this moment, this, this pinnacle moment in Luke's gospel, in his story, gospel just means good news, and the good news that Luke is telling at this pinnacle moment where Christ is revealed and it's said to him and they hear the Father in heaven speak of his Son. At that pinnacle moment, now we begin to see what Christ begins to do. So today... Here's a question for you. And remember, we've been working through questions. Every question I put as a title for my series the last six weeks has been a question right out of Scripture that someone asked or that Jesus asked. This is a question Jesus is going to ask in what we read today. And it is, how do you read it? You see, in your life and in my life, we're constantly trying to read things, right? Read people, read situations, try to understand what's going on around us. How do we read it? Because, see, that's really critical because the reason that Jesus eventually gets crucified is because the religious people of his day, the believers of his day, didn't read the Old Testament properly. They missed it because they didn't read it right. And because they didn't read it right because of their selfish motives... Okay, because they had already determined what the outcome was going to be. So when they came to the Bible, they were looking for the outcome they'd already determined that they should have. They weren't coming and saying, God, you're God, you tell me what to do. And what we're going to see today is Jesus is having now these conversations. He's been revealed fully, and now he is going to be like in people's faces, dealing with their hearts, not messing around. And people get really offended. They get so offended that in just a few chapters, just a, a dozen or so chapters, we're going to see them put Jesus on a cross because they're so offended by how he interprets Scripture. Because it's not how they interpret Scripture. And we will crucify him for it. He is a liar because it's not what we think and how we read the Bible. And can I just tell you, we need to be really careful not to think that we're any smarter, any better than the people of Jesus' day, that we can get off track so easily. And all of a sudden, we're believing and doing things God had no desire for us to believe and do. Thinking that we're doing it in the name of God, thinking we're doing it for the right reasons, and all the while, we're deceived. And so Jesus kind of deals with that. So let's dive in. If you've got your Bibles, it's going to be in Luke 37. It's also on the live page. You can follow along. We're going right through Scripture. So if you can find Luke, it's towards the end of your Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the third of the good news stories, the gospel stories. Luke 9, 37. The next day, remember, this is the day after the transfiguration when Jesus is shown to be the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Does that make sense? So the next day after that, when they, that's the disciples, his followers, were with him, when they, the twelve, came down from the mountain, a large crowd met them. Now this was typical. The crowds were coming to Jesus now because he was putting on a good show. It's why people go to different things, concerts, churches. It's because, hey, I'm looking for a good show. I want to go to where the show's the best. I want to go where I can, I can experience the most. Right? And, and that's proof that God's there. That's proof that things are going right because there's a good show. That, that's, that's exactly what's happening. These crowds are just wanting to be around Jesus because they want to see the show. Just then, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son because he's my only child. Often a spirit seizes him suddenly. He shrieks and it throws him into convulsions until he foams at the mouth, wounding him. It hardly ever leaves him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. Now remember, a couple of chapters ago, Jesus sent out the, the disciples, the 12, to go heal and have power over demonic forces. He said, look, I'm going to give you a, a special moment. I'm going to give you a special power. Not everybody has this power, but he gave it to these 12, and he sent them out and said, go and tell people about the good news that the kingdom of God has come. And so he sends them out with the power to heal. And, the, and this guy said, I went to your disciples and they couldn't heal my child. They couldn't deliver my child. And so this guy's like, hey, 
You're coming off the mountain and that's great. And remember, the disciples were bragging about all they had done just a chapter earlier. They had been bragging about look at all that God accomplished. They're saying, look, look, look at what we did in your name. Isn't it interesting they don't tell what they didn't do, right? It's like your kids, right? Like you, you give them a list of things and they know which things they didn't do. They don't tell you those. They tell you all they did do. Mom, I did this, and I did this, and I did this. And then it's like, we intuitively know as parents, don't we? We're like, oh, well, did you do this? Well, no, but look at everything else I did. Like, well, you didn't do that. Like, go do it, right? No, okay, fine, right? It, it's the same kind of thing. These disciples came back, and we're going to see their heart. It's on full display in this chapter what the disciples were reading about God's word, how they interpreted what they believed their future would be as a result of following Jesus. Let me just tell you, there are many people today who interpret the way their future life on this earth will be the same way these disciples were. There are teachers out there who teach it. And so here we are, and look at what Jesus' reply is. This man is hurting. This is his only child. His disciples couldn't heal. And Jesus replied, you unbelieving and rebellious generation, how long will I be with you and put up with you? That's so kind and nice. <laughs> Listen, I, I just want to tell you something. It's hard for me to know. Jesus is like, you wicked, rebellious generation. And he doesn't just say this to the disciples. He's saying it to everyone. He, he's come down off the mountain, having been revealed as God's glory. And he's like, really? I was just in the presence of my father revealed, and now I'm back in this body. I'm here and it's still, you just want stuff. You, you, I mean, this guy comes and said, he's my only son. Like, that's supposed to, like, make it better? Like, I'm going to convince you to heal him because this is my only child, and he's my son, and how am I going to inherit Jewish things the way, the way we interpret the Old Testament, which was wrong, by the way, totally. Like, in the Old Testament, there were people who gave daughters inheritances, right? They chose to do that. But, but they had interpreted it that, well, if you don't have a daughter, then we can take your land and we can, re, we can redo it. And, and there was supposed to be a year of Jubilee that if that happened, then people could get their lands back. And oh, no, no, never been, they weren't celebrating the year of Jubilee. See, this guy understands. He's like, this isn't just about my son. This is about my lineage and my heritage. And Jesus knows this. Jesus knows that there's more at play for this guy, just like for you and I. Oftentimes when we ask for things, it's a mixed bag, isn't it? It's a mixed bag. It's both, yes, I want this, and it's not bad to have it, and so God should give it to me, and God, look at how good I've been, look at all I've done, and, and, and here's, the, here's why I'm going to convince you to do it. But deep down, Jesus, God knows our heart. God knows deep down that, okay, there are three other motives you're not talking about why you want this. Let's deal with those first. Let's talk about your heart. Let's talk about why you want those things. See, Jesus, that's why he says, this isn't mean. He's stating a fact. You all are rebellious. Are you rebellious? Yeah. I'm rebellious. And I have to take that rebellion and crucify it, which is what we read last week. I have to say, you know what? I, I die to myself. I die. I'm no longer going to be a rebel. I'm no longer going to try to get my way the way I want it, the way I think things should work. I'm just going to fall at your feet and worship and surrender to you. And we finish our message this day. We're going to celebrate communion. And we're going to see a story where that happens. And so here you have it. And he says, how long will I be with you? And then look at this. He doesn't stop there. He could have said, how long will I be with you? Now I'm leaving. And he could have just marched out the door and gone and done something else. And yet the God of the universe, after he tells us a really hard, stinging, painful thing about our hearts, he says, bring me your son. As the boy was still approaching, the demon knocked him down and threw him into severe convulsions. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, cured the boy, and gave him back to his father. <laughs> You're rebellious people. How long do I have to put up with you? But I love you. Here's your healed son. Isn't that God? Isn't that the God of the Bible? The God of the Bible who lays out and says, look, I love you. 
And I'm going to tell you the truth about yourself and about other people and about the circumstances of the world you live in. And sometimes I'm going to have mercy and grace and sometimes I'm going to have justice. And in this moment, Jesus is like, bring him to me. I'll heal him. And it says, and they were all astonished at the greatness of God. They were all astonished. While everyone was amazed at all the things he was doing, he told his disciples. So here again, everybody else is focused on what can Jesus do for me? That's the focus. Everybody's looking to say, look at all he can do. Maybe I can get in on some of that, right? Not he's God and I just surrender and whatever he gives me, I'll take. I'll be content with because he's in charge. That's not the heart here. They're just amazed that cool stuff is happening. And as soon as the cool stuff stops happening, guess what? They're ready to put him on a cross. They're ready to crucify him. They're ready to get rid of him because Show's over. I ate all my popcorn. Credits are running. And I know in this movie there's no like last scene credit that I have to stay for, so I'm out of here. Try to get in my car, get home before traffic. Same thing here. And it says, look at this. He told his disciples, let these words sink in. In other words, read into this. Listen to me. Just like the father said, listen to my son. Let these words sink in. The son of man, that's the Old Testament prophesied savior of the world that you read about, is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. Now this would have been crazy. Because if he's really the Messiah, he's supposed to overthrow the Romans and bring the Jews in to reign and rule over the whole earth. They're supposed to take over. That's what the son of man's going to come and do. That's true, but they only read part of the story of the Old Testament. They left out the parts they didn't like, which was that he was going to suffer and die, and he was going to have to be sacrificed for them, and that they were going to do it to him. God even prophesied, you're going to kill him. You're going to kill the Messiah. He lays all this out in hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament. And then it says, but they did not understand this statement. It was concealed from them, so they could not grasp it. And they were afraid to ask him about it. They were afraid to ask. Let me ask you. Why are you afraid? Don't say it out loud, just think. Why are you afraid to ask things in relationship? Why are you afraid to ask? Well, firstly, typically we're afraid to ask because... Most of the time, we already know the answer we want, and we know if we ask, we might get a different one. And so that's, I don't want to get permission, I just want to ask for forgiveness. So I'll just do it and ask for forgiveness later, right? Because if I ask and you say no, now I'm held accountable to the no. But if I don't ask and I mess up and I do it anyway, then I can look at you and say, well, you didn't tell me no, I just did it, I, please, I guess just forgive me. And our hearts, that's what we do in our hearts. We don't want to come before God and say, I really want to know what your will is. I really want to listen to you. I want to know. No. That's, that's not typically our heart. The other reason we don't ask is because we know if we ask, it's challenging something we already believe, and I don't want to be challenged. I got too many questions in my life. I got too many problems. It's just easier to go with the flow than ask and deal with things. And that's exactly where you see this going. They're afraid to ask. He goes on and says, then, look at this. This exposes the heart of these guys instantly. You think, well, how do you know, Matt, that's really their heart? How do you, because I, they could be thinking other things. Because right here, verse 46, then an argument started among them about who would be the greatest of them. <laughs> what? What? They've been out doing healings. They've been on the Mount of Transfiguration and saw God, Jesus, in his glory. Remember, the 12 were up there, but there were 70 others that weren't up there with the 12, right? So the 12 are thinking, oh, we're special. See, we, 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 we got to heal people and cast out demons. I mean, sure, we couldn't do it for that kid because we didn't believe and we were rebellious. But, you know, for the most part, we really did what God, and we got to go on the mountain and all you, you know, you, you guys had to stay here. And, you know, he likes us better. So he took us up on the mountain to show us the goods and you guys got left behind. Too bad for you. That's what's going on in their heart. That's why they're having an argument. And as soon as Jesus says, the son of man 
is going to be betrayed into the hands of people, of sinners. As soon as, their next question is, okay, if he's going to die, who gets all the stuff? That's so wicked. That is just like, are, are you kidding me? And that's exactly what they're doing. Well, he said he was going to die. We really don't understand what that means. But wow, if he's going to die, guys, I, you know, I've been doing some really great things. And, you know, I mean, we could have had that argument at staff meeting last week. You know, staff meeting last week, I said, hey, I, I might just kill over this week. I don't know what's going on in my life. You guys better be ready. You know, we could have busted out an argument and been like, well, I've been here. You know, I get here at 915 on Sundays. I get here early. Be, we could have, could have been arguing about who was the greatest. It was the opposite. Everybody's like, I don't want it. You take it. Like, that was the argument we had at our staff meeting. Like, if something happens to you, man, we just got to, we got to pray. We got to seek God. We're going to, I don't know what's going to go down. See, that the, these guys are arguing who's going to be the greatest. Can you imagine? Jesus just said, you're a wicked and rebellious people. He, he says, I'm going to die. He lets them in on his pain. I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. This shouldn't happen to me. I'm the son of God, the perfect savior of the world. And he's, he's letting them into his heart. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's great. Now, who's going to be the greatest? But if we're honest, we do this. Well, I think it should be done this way, and I think I should be in charge, and I think this should happen, and I think that should happen. That's the way we are. But Jesus, look at this, knowing the thoughts of their heart, took a little child and had him stand next to him. He told them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me, him who sent me. For who, whoever is least among you, this one is great. They're arguing, and he goes, no, whoever's least among you, that's who God's going to make the greatest. Then he says... John responded, Master, we saw someone driving out demons in your name. And we tried to stop him because he does not follow us. Jesus is teaching. He looks at them and says, the least among you will be great. And they go off on this tangent where they go, John responded, well, Master, we saw someone. And they were trying to do stuff in your name. And we, we put, we, we're going to put them in their place. You're still arguing about it. And then he goes on and he says, look, don't, and he goes, because he goes, uh, master, we saw someone, he does not follow us. Don't stop him, Jesus told him, because whoever is not against you is for you. I just got done teaching you that the least of these, and you're still saying, well, we wanted to stop him because he's not as important as we are. I mean, this is like the parent who tells their kid over and over, over, like your socks, are still in the living room. They're, they're still there. Every day I come home, they're socks. Why? That's different pairs sometimes. There's three. I mean, it, you say the same thing over, and it's obvious you don't care. <laughs> you just don't care. Just say it. Well, you see, it's because when I got home, I put, no, just say, I don't care what you say. I've decided my socks can be on the carpet and stink the carpet up, and that's good for me, and it should be good for you. I love you. Have a great day. Like, that's what you've decided. It's fine, just state the facts. That's what Jesus is doing. He's like, look, why are you so worried about what everybody else is doing in my name? Be worried about what you're doing. You're arguing. You're having this mess. Be worried about you. And he goes on. He says, oh, and the other thing is, he says, he says um, whoever is not against you is for you. He's like, you don't know what God's doing. Have you prayed? Have you asked? Nope. See, and notice they say, look, they don't say they're not with you. John says they're not with us. See, the question was never, are they a follower of my Savior, my Master? Do they know him? Are they obedient to him? Those weren't the questions. The questions was, if they're not with us, then they're not as good as us. They're not as great as us. And so I'm done with them. That is just so wicked. That is not God's heart. Then he goes on, he says, when the days were coming to a close for him to be taken up. So now we have a pivot in the book. It's the highest moment he's transfigured. Now we have a pivot in the book where Jesus is realizing from this point forward, I'm heading to my death. I'm heading to Jerusalem. I'm going to go to my death. I've done miracles. I've made my name known. And he's, he's preparing for the moment when he is going to die on our behalf and give his blood and his body, which is what communion is, to us. 
And it says, he determined to journey to Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead of him. And on the way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. Listen, you didn't enter villages of Samaritans. You don't do that as a Jew. The Samaritans were, were, the, were the other half-breeds of the Jewish people. They hated them. Jews and Samaritans hated each other. You think racism's bad in our country. They had it down to a science of how bad it was. And to, to purposefully travel through Samaria, Jews would go all the way around to get to where they were going. They refused to even step on Samaritan ground. And Jesus is like, nope, my plan is to go right through, to make myself known. And it says, but they did not welcome him because he determined to journey to Jerusalem. So the Samaritans, he goes, okay, so we're going to go through Samaria and you're going to do some great stuff. Nope, I'm just going to go through Samaria so they have an opportunity to get to know me or not know me. And nothing great happens. They actually reject him. Why? Because Jesus is saying, I have to go to Jerusalem to be the Messiah and do my work. And the Samaritans believed that you had to worship on Mount Gerizim. There were two worship places. When the kingdom of God in the Old Testament, when, when God's people split and Solomon's kids went two different directions, when they split the kingdom to a northern and southern kingdom, the Samaritans, that northern kingdom, that group said, we're going to create a new worship center that's better than the old one, that's better than Jerusalem. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm going through Jerusalem. And when the Samaritans hear that, they go, well, then you're not my Messiah. Because we've already decided. We've already heard what God wants to do. And it's going to be done in Mount Gerizim. And you can't challenge that. Does that make sense? That's exactly what's going on. Jesus is like, no, I'm purposely going to go through here to deal with this. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they see the Samaritans rejecting Jesus. Look at their response. It's not, oh, those poor people. Man, we love them. We we need to pray for them. We need to pray that they see you're the Messiah. No. James and John, who are called the sons of thunder, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? <laughs> like they thought they had the right to do that. Like God didn't say, I give you power to call down fire from heaven. He said, you can heal people, you can cast out demons, and then you can speak about the kingdom. He didn't say you can call down fire on people's heads. But that's what, now they're like, well, he gives us power, and so... So they want to like, like, oh, we, you know, I know we weren't believing and we couldn't heal that boy before, but we believe that if you, if you give us jazz hands, man, we can shoot fire out of them and kill people. Like, woo, and just fight. Like, we believe that you could do that if you want us to. It's almost so arrogant. So arrogant. First, they assume that's what he wants them to do. They won't ask the question earlier about death and what this means. They were afraid to ask. Oh, but they're not afraid to ask this question. Well, you want us to kill people, right? You want us to get them. No. They're not afraid to ask. Listen, they're not afraid to ask the question when they think they already have the answer. He goes on and it says, but he turned and rebuked them. And they went to another village. <laughs> Just, no. Just rebuke. Stop. And then they just moved on. It goes on and it says, as they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Baloney. That's what Jesus is getting ready to tell them. I just, it's a Greek word, balone. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. So he says, wherever you go, Jesus told him, foxes have dens, birds of the sky have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. See, he's on his way to Jerusalem, and they all believe he's on his way to Jerusalem to overthrow the Romans, to establish a kingdom, to build a palace, and live in it. That's why they're following him. They believe, okay, here we are, we're marching, and we're, we're going to take over. This is going to be awesome. He's like, I don't, I don't have any place to lay my head. Wait, but I thought you were going to Jerusalem. I thought you were going to lay your head down. I thought we were going to rest and everything. Did I say that? No, you interpreted that because you already believe that's what's going to happen and you don't want to hear anything different. You've already determined in your heart this is what you want, this is what's going to happen, and any challenge to that, you throw up a wall. And he goes on and it says, then he said to another, follow me. <laughs> Imagine being this guy. Look, Lord, I'll follow you wherever, wherever you go. 
And you're like, well, foxes and birds have nests, and, you know, the son of man has no place to lay his head. I mean, you're looking at him, he's like, yeah, and then he looks at another guy and goes, how about you follow me? Like, they'd be like, wait a minute. That guy didn't even offer to follow you. I offered to follow you, and you didn't say, sure, come on, follow me. I'm so happy you said that. No, you, like, okay, that's great. And then you turn to another guy, how about you? You want to follow, you follow me. Well, I just asked. That would, that's offensive, that's offensive because Jesus knew their hearts. He knows everybody's trying to use him and they don't understand. We just read where it's been concealed from them. They don't get it. They are so deceived. They don't understand what the purpose of life is. They don't understand what the purpose of the Bible is. They don't understand what the purposes of God are because they've been so overwhelmed and deceived for so long. And then it says, Lord, he said, First, let me go bury my father. Sounds like a pretty okay demand, right? Like, like whoa, hold on. Yeah, I, I really want to follow you, but I, I'm concerned for my dad. I want to take care of my dad. Now, bury your father doesn't mean he was necessarily sick and he was going to die, because if he was sick and he was going to die, what could have the guy asked instead? Would you heal my father? Then I can come follow you because I'm afraid my dad's going to be sick and die. That's not what he was probably talking about. Most likely he's saying, well, first I have to take care of the family business, the family affairs, and then when all that's done with the time I have left over, I'll come and give that to you. Because that's what we Jews do. We take care of the family. He goes on and he says, let the dead bury their own dead but you go spread the, good, the news of the kingdom of God. This is why Jesus gets crucified. <laughs> he, he says these things that just cut right to our hearts. This is why accepting and, and making Christ Lord of your life is hard. Is because when he comes in and he truly comes in, he doesn't stop messing around because he's so desperate to have your heart and he wants others to see his heart and he doesn't want you to get in the way of that because he loves you so much and he cares for you so much. He'll tell you the truth. And he says, another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. Like I want to follow you, but I got... I want to be sure I tell everybody bye and everything's taken care of. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Guys, this, this is heavy stuff. He's like, no. If this is true, it's worthy of your life and it's worthy of, of surrender and it's worthy to go back and read your life and read the Bible and look at what I'm doing and ask, is this real? And if it is, then nothing gets in the way of it. Nothing. I surrender all of it to him. And if there's something in the way, I gotta get it out of the way. You know, if you were a college student, it'd be a real easy thing. Well, first, Lord, let me graduate, then I'll serve you. I'm busy right now with studies. Then, then I'll have more time. You will not have more time than you have when you're a student. And you might say, well, but I'm one of those really busy students. You'll just be a really busy worker. If that's your personality, you're going to work yourself into a grave because that's who you are. Right? Like, it's not going to change. You have to make the choice to surrender your will to God. He goes on and he says, after this, the Lord appointed 70 others. So now the disciples have been arguing, people were questioning, and now Jesus is like, look at this, 12. I'll, I'll give 70 other people the power. You're not so special anymore. <laughs> 70. And he sent them ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself was about to go. They're preparing the way for him. Listen, that's our job. Our job today is to prepare the way for Jesus. It's to tell people about him so that when he enters their life, when they have an encounter with him, they're ready. And when he comes back someday, they're ready. That's exactly what he's asking these guys to do. He told them, the harvest is abundant, the workers are few. In other words, there's tons of people who say they want to be my follower, but they don't want to be a part of the harvest. And we want to talk about how the harvest isn't abundant. Baloney. The harvest is abundant. God said, that's not the problem. Can I tell you right now, the fastest growing church in the world right now, do you know where it's located? The fastest growing church in the world right now. Anybody? Iran. China's second. 
The fastest growing church in the world right now is Iran. They have no buildings. They have no bank accounts. The message of Islam has killed them, has demolished their culture and their people. Their mosques are empty. People aren't showing up for mosque service anymore. They're not coming and they're hungry and Jesus is appearing to people in visions. People are having visions and Christians are risking their life to tell the people around them about Jesus. And the people who are leading the charge in Iran are women. The women who are gonna be killed if they're found out by their husbands, they don't care. They're surrendering their lives to serve their husbands, to give themselves to these wicked men and still serve them in the midst of it. And when their husbands come to know Christ, you know what they do? They turn over the church to their husbands. They don't keep the power themselves like the feminist movement. They're like, I've been praying for this. I've been asking God to give me a leader. I've been asking God to reach my husband. And he's reached. Now lead me. And it's exploding. You're not going to hear about it in the news media. And you know what's crazy? These Christians have a love for Israel. And for God's people, and they are praying that God would save his people, Israel. When we see that Iran is the number one enemy of Israel, God has raised up a people in Iran that are praying for the salvation of Jerusalem because they know Jesus is going to come back there because that's what the Bible says. So we better get ready for it. We don't believe what we've read. We don't believe what we've been told. We believe what God says. That is happening, folks. I'm not making this up. God is doing miracles because the harvest is abundant. The problem isn't the harvest. The problem is the workers were distracted. That's why he says, therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Now go. I'm sending you out. Look at this. I'm sending you out powerful like Superman in the world. Is that what he says? Like lambs among wolves. You know what happens to lambs among wolves? You know, if you don't know, maybe you should... Try this as an experiment someday. Go to a wolf farm. Go to, you know, I don't know, Yosemite. Go someplace where they have wolves. You know, be safe, but take a lamb with you. And when you see a pack of wolves, throw the lamb out and see what happens. See what happens. When you throw a little lamb, baby lamb, just throw it out there and see what happens with the wolves. They don't be like, oh, let's take it in and raise it as our own, like the Jungle Book. This will be great. That's not what happens. That's a Disney movie. They rip it apart. And Jesus says, oh, and by the way, this power you have, what I'm sending you out to do, just know, expect that you're going to get ripped apart if you follow me because that's what's getting ready to happen to me. See, the people in Iran know this. They know that if I come to know Jesus, it means the rejection of everything around me, my nation, my culture, my family, everything, and he's worth it. And that's why they do it. Here, that's not our heart. We're like these other people that, Keep asking these questions. He says, don't carry a money bag, traveling bag, or sandals. Don't greet anyone along the road. Can you imagine if we started sending out missionaries like this? You don't have any health insurance. There's no, you know, travel insurance. You just go. Good luck. Hope you come home. If not, praise God. Goes on, it says, whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this household. If a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. You're looking for people of peace. People who aren't just out to murder you, that just hate God. You're looking for people that are at least open to God. They don't just hate God and want to kill you. They're open to hear something. They're open to reading things differently in their world, in their culture. You look for that house. When you find it, you remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they offer. For the worker is worthy of his wages. Don't be moving from house to house. Because if you move from house to house, it looks like you're using people. Right? Like, I really don't like what you're having for dinner, Mom, so I'm going to go over to Johnny's house and eat tonight. Then I'm going to go to Sam's because I really don't like what you guys provide for me. You don't want to have that picture of doing ministry. And he says, the worker's worthy of his wages. He says, eat whatever they offer you. Listen, I was a picky eater when I was a kid, terribly picky. My parents, like, it was a battle for them. I would just not eat. Like, seriously. And then I would sneak money and go buy cookie dough at the store and eat like a tube of cookie dough. I was terrible. I was awful. I'm just being honest. Horrible. You want to know when I finally learned how to eat what was put in front of me? When I was in Juarez, Mexico on a mission trip. 
at the age of 19. And what was put in front of me was better than all the street kids I was playing soccer with with a basketball because we didn't even have a soccer ball. And it was put in front of me and it was prepared by these, this couple that they danced in the street together. They would do music and dancing would come out and they would dance together in the street. And when they had church, it would last for four hours. We had four hours church three times that week. Four hours. It was crazy. I mean, they just loved the Lord. And when they sit it in front of you, and you want to know why I ate it? It wasn't because I saw all those things and I was like, I'm so grateful. These people are awesome. I was so hungry from pouring concrete all day. I was exhausted. And I knew if I didn't eat what this stuff was, I was going to pass out the next day. Because no one else on the team knew how to do concrete except me. And so I got all the brunt of it at 19. And I'm like, I don't know what this is. I, 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 I got to eat or I'm like, I can't work tomorrow. And I just ate it. Half our team got food poisoning. I didn't, praise God. Which meant now I got to pour concrete with half less the people we had before. <laughs> Which means I was even more hungry the next day and I ate whatever they put in front of me even after everybody else got sick. I didn't go, well, they got sick. I can't eat that now. I'm like, I, I, I'm gonna pass out about it. I gotta eat. And I learned how to eat what was set before me because I was on mission for God. It was no longer about me. It was no longer about my house and what I wanted and what I could do. It was about God. If I'm going to do what you want me to do, I got to eat this to sustain me tomorrow. 19. It took me to 19. My parents are like, Ugh, how long do I have to put up with you? Like Jesus said. And we've been trying 19 years to get you to realize this. You go on one mission trip and you're changed. <laughs> it goes on and he says, the kingdom of God has come near you. Tell them this. When you enter any town and they don't welcome you, go out to its streets and say, we're wiping off as a witness against you the dust even off the town that clings to our feet. Know this for certain, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, on that day it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. Remember, Sodom and Gomorrah were, were killed by what? Fire called down from heaven. John and James just said, can we call down fire from heaven? Jesus rebukes them and says no. And then he gives the teaching and says, no, God will take care of that when you reject the message that comes. He goes on, he says, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for the miracles that were, for if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, I love this, they would have re repented long ago. See, the miracles are happening in Iran and people are repenting in droves and risking their lives to repent. God does miracles around us every day and we question it. Well, is that really God? I mean, that was a good doctor. We got new medicine. I mean, he said, I don't know. Who gave you the intelligence to even create any of that stuff? Oh, God. Yeah. He goes on and he says, they would have sat in sackcloth and ashes, but it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day at judgment than for you. And for you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No. You'll go down to hell, to Hades. Whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you rejects me. And whoever rejects me is the, uh, rejects the one who sent me. He's like, if you're speaking my words, if you're telling my word and they reject you, they didn't reject you. They rejected my word. And you better be concerned for their soul because there's gonna come a day of fire. This is Jesus. Remember Jesus that everybody loved? image and he's got a little lamb like this is Jesus speaking bold truth to his people it says then the 70 returned with joy look at this they returned with joy saying Lord even the demons submit to us in your name he said to them I watched Satan fall from heaven like a lightning flash <laughs> they're like oh even the demons he's like that's nothing <laughs> you guys are, I watched Satan himself reject God like don't be, and this is and how do we know he thinks that look Look, I have given you the authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing will ever harm you. Now, he's not talking about on this earth. He's talking about eternally. Nothing can touch you eternally. Why do we know? Because most of them end up dying martyrs' deaths. They get harmed and get killed. And that's why he goes on and he says, Look, however, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you. 
But rejoice that your names are written. Have you read it? Your names are written in heaven. See, we love to get excited about cool stuff happening. But when you get to the persecuted church, they're just so amazed that God would forgive them and write their name in heaven that they just submit and say, God, use us however you want. They're not looking for a show. They're just saying, God, you've already given me everything. I want to give you everything back. I had no life. You've given me the life of promise in heaven. That's their heart. And Jesus is saying, the people I'm ministering to don't get this yet. And we can be just like them. He goes on, in that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned, and you've revealed them to infants. These Iranian people, many of them uneducated, many of them persecuted, especially the women and children who are treated terribly and married off at young ages and the mess that Islam promotes. They're in a mess, and he's like, but they get it before the wise and learned do. Why? Because when we're wise and learned, we've already read it. We already have our answer. I already know. I don't have to ask. I just, I'm going to do what I do. That's pride. He goes on and he says, yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. God loves to take idiots and, and make them look great. <laughs> That's the whole story of the Bible. He takes murderers and adulterers and thieves, and he makes them look amazing so that they can't get any credit. And all the while, we're running around like the disciples were trying to get credit. Look at what I've done, look at what I've done, look at what I've done. No, you didn't do any of that. God did. All these things have been entrusted to be by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, and who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. Listen, and Jesus desires for him to be revealed to the entire world. That's why he just said, go out into the harvest and reveal me to people. I want everybody to see me. I want everybody to have the opportunity to know who I am and to know the God of the universe that has sent me. That I am God and I sent myself. That we agreed together, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to this plan. He goes on. Then turning to his disciples, he said privately, the eyes that see these things you see are blessed, are happy. Do you realize how happy you should be that, that if you know Jesus, your name is written in heaven? That whatever circumstances you're dealing with and whatever mess if you have sickness, if you have problems, if you have depression, whatever it is, he's like, do you see how happy you can be just to realize that, that your name is written? Have you read what God thinks about you as his child, how much he loves you, that he's willing to warn you because he cares about you? For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see the things you see, yet didn't see them, to hear the things you hear, but didn't hear them. Just then, an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Look at what Jesus said. What is written in the law? He asked him. Jesus says, How do you read it? Jesus says, What's the Bible say? And he doesn't just stop there. Right? Because see, that's what people do today. Well, God told me. Well, here's the scripture verse. And they pull out a scripture. See, I did it because right, right there's the verse. I can do it. Whoa, whoa. He, he goes on and he says, I love this. Okay, I, how do you read that verse? How, how are you getting, like, how do you really see it? Look what he says. He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor is yourself. You've answered correctly. He told him, do this and you will live. Can we do that? Can we really love God and love people with all our heart, mind, like completely, never fail, perfectly? Can we do that? It's impossible. That's why we need a Savior to forgive us and die for the times when we don't do it, to save us, to forgive us. And Jesus says, yeah, you're right. If you can do all of that, you can get to heaven. And you know the guy's going, well, I can't, dude. Nobody can do all that. Exactly. He told him, do this and you'll live. But wanting to justify himself, he knows he's condemned. When Jesus says, love God and love people, and then you'll be in heaven, he goes, well, I know I haven't loved God and loved people, so I gotta justify myself. I gotta get a zinger in there. I gotta, that's what he does. So he says, do this, but wanting to justify, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? <laughs> 
Well, who's really my neighbor? What kind of question is that? You just said love God and love people. If they're a person, then you love them. Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into a hand of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, fled, and leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So religious person, priest, sees the guy. He's like, I don't got time. Passes by. He doesn't want to get dirty because if the guy's bleeding, then I'll be unclean and I can't go do my priest stuff. So I just got to let somebody else take care of it. In the same way, the Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. This is a Levite. This is another religious leader of Jesus' day. These are two religious leaders. But the Samaritan on his journey came up to him. And when he saw the man, he had compassion. This would have been very offensive to hearing this story. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Those were kind of expensive to do that to some Samaritan guy who you don't even know how he got beat up or why. When he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, that's quite a bit of money, and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. Can you imagine being the innkeeper? I'm going to do everything I can for this guy. Hey, do you want steak tonight? How about we both eat steak tonight? Because he's going to pay me back, right? Like, would you like to, to go on a little trip today into town and buy some stuff? Let's do that because I think that would be good. Like, he goes on and he says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hand of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him. He said, then Jesus said, told him, go and do the same. But see, this guy couldn't do it because the laws they had made up said he couldn't do that for a Samaritan. The priests and the Levite can't be with the Samaritan. They can't be contaminated by that. See, Jesus is going right after his heart and he's saying, how about I pick the worst neighbor you think of? When you said, who is my neighbor? I'm going to pick the absolute worst neighbor human being you would ever think of, a beaten up Samaritan by the side of the road and you don't even know why he got beat up. He could have gotten beat up because he was trying to rob somebody and got beat up. You don't know. He picked the worst case scenario and still the guy had to answer and go, well, the guy that helped him. Good, now do that. But this guy knows, I don't know how. I don't, I don't know how to get around my belief system and the Old Testament laws and all the things we, how do I get around that? You have to reread. You have to go back and reinterpret. You have to understand scripture, not from the mess you've been taught, but what's true in the Bible. It's exactly what this guy knew. The last story as we wrap up, while they were traveling, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. So picture it. There's travelers, they're traveling. Remember, they were welcomed into homes, a person of peace. Martha welcomes her into the home, them into the home. She had a sister named Mary, right? Don't you love sibling rivalry, sibling issues, right? This is Martha's house, not Mary's house, right? Sister, this ain't your house. This is my house. You do what I say in my house, right? That's what's going on here. And it says, who also sat at the Lord's feet, and was listening to what he said. I mean, Mary, they come into the house and Mary is just at Jesus' feet and she can't get enough. She's just like, I, this is, I gotta hear this. Look at what it says. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. Everything we've been reading, folks, all of these people, Jesus said to three people, follow me. The religious leader we just talked about, the disciples, everyone's distracted from the truth in this passage because they've already read the world around them and the Bible and have decided what they're going to believe and they're going to put everything together to be that way. Mary, she's like just enthralled by Jesus. <laughs> I, I, I've never heard anyone. I, I have nothing. This is my, I have to live in my sister's house. I got nothing. And, and you say things I've never heard before. I just want to listen. And it says, Martha is distracted. It doesn't say by God's tasks. It says by her many tasks. And she came up and asked, Lord, look at this. Here's a question again, right? You're afraid to ask a question? She's not afraid to ask the question because she expects to get her answer. So she asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? I got to take care of all these people in my house. And you all came in. You got dirty feet. And there's all kinds of stuff to do. I don't know what I'm going to do. And Jesus said at your feet. And you don't even care. And that's what the women are supposed to do. Women are supposed to jump up and serve the men. And we're supposed to take care of stuff. 
That's all culturally what's going on in this passage. All that pressure. And it says, so tell her to give me a hand. <laughs> you tell her to give me. She, uh, well, she's right here. Why don't you tell her? Like, <laughs> Mary, could, could you help me out? Oh, no, no, no. Martha's just brewing inside until she explodes. Right? Which is what we do. Instead of just looking and saying, hey, hey, Mary, could, could you help me out real quick? Mary probably would be, oh, okay, I, I was just listening, yeah. It goes on and it says, the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. It's like the Brady Bunch, Marsha, Marsha, right? Martha, Martha, right? You are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice, and it will be not be taken away from her. See, we get distracted by all kinds of tasks, all kinds of life around us, and it's real easy to get distracted and forget to even read our Bible, to even know our God, to sit at his word and open it and expect him to meet with us, to tabernacle with us, to talk to us that he would even want a relationship with us. Listen, you want to know how we know he wants a relationship with us? Right there. He shed his blood and gave his body to say, I will take the penalty you deserve. You deserve to burn. You deserve fire to come down on your head for how you've been in rebellion. And if you look deep in your heart, you know how prideful and rebellious you are. But there's also some of us who look and we see that pride and rebellion and we won't let God love us. We won't believe the truth that God said you could be forgiven and reestablished and have a new life in me. And so we live in that darkness. And Jesus says, I want to call you to the light of who I want you to be. It's a both and. And he looks and he says, Martha, you're so busy. Stop. That's why we do communion. It's a moment for us to stop. It's why we come on Sundays to, to put away the distractions and come before God and say, God, I recognize, Jesus, what you did for me, that you died in my place, and I eat the, the body, I, I, the bread that symbolizes your body, the, that you died for me, and that you give me the ability to live for you through the power of the Holy Spirit. See, that's communion. Listen, if you've not made the decision to follow Jesus and to surrender your life to him, do not take communion. We don't pass it around because we don't want pressure. Like, well, the person next to me took it. No. The way we do communion is you'll be sitting and we'll have a time of music playing and you can get up when you feel led and come forward and take a cup and take a piece of the broken body of Christ the blood he shed and you can come back to your seat. You can go off to the side. You can pray with other people if Couples or families want to do that. You can take communion. That's, communion is this idea that God came from heaven to earth to commune with us, and then we do this as a remembrance that my name is written in heaven, which means I'm going to get to commune with him forever someday. So when I take this, it's not just, oh, it's so bad, it's all death. It's, wait, he comes back to life. I get to spend eternity, and I'm going to be with him forever. That's communion. The Bible also says, just like Jesus preached through this passage, to be careful. Don't just say, I, I'm a follower, I do it. If you, it even says if there's something you have, if you come and there's something you have against your brother, go deal with that before you take this. Because in this, you're saying, God, I'm ready to deal with you. I'm ready to no longer have questions and excuses, but to truly come to you with all my questions, with no excuses, and say, give me the answers. That's communion. And if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, this is your moment to rejoice that your name is written in the book of life, the Bible says, because of what he did for you, not what you've done. See, that's communion. And it's beautiful. It's the greatest gift God's given us of his love. And we're going to do it this week, next week, and the next week. If you're not ready to take communion today, don't take it. We have two more weeks. I would encourage you to pray, to ask God, to seek Him. But if you're ready to deal with whatever it is you're going through, take it and say, God, help me as I go out from here to be about your message, your kingdom, and your harvest.